All right. Hey, you know, I'm so excited that we've been talking about in this family series that we've been in uh, for the last few weeks that we had some guest speakers coming and this weekend is the first of those. Um, and we're so excited. I want to tell you a little bit about Kevin Thompson. Kevin is the married life pastor at uh, Bayside Church um, that really is in the um, East Sacramento area. And Kevin's been on the team for a couple of years, just doing amazing stuff. I was just up at the Thrive Conference and even a book that Kevin's just recently released was published and put out and given to those attendees. Kevin has written a few books, uh, Friends, Partners, and Lovers, as well as Fearless Families. And he'll allude to some of that content, I'm sure, in our time together uh, tonight. Um, <clears throat> Kevin's done some great stuff, uh, being a featured guest with Family Life and Focus on the Family, two great organizations that just come alongside and help Christian parents, Christian couples grow in their walk and in their uh, roles together. And uh, Kevin is married to Jenny. She's here tonight and they have two wonderful kids. And I just want you, whether you're here in Powell Auditorium, whether you're joining us online, <clears throat> I know if you clap loud enough, we can hear you. I want you to give Kevin a great High Desert Church welcome. Let's welcome him out. Thank you all so much. It's great to see you tonight. What an honor it is to be here. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to Genesis chapter two. And in just a moment, we're gonna look at a section of scripture that is there. But what an honor it is to be here at High Desert. Uh, it, it was an honor to be led in worship by somebody without an accent. And, and so Landon's from Arkansas, as am I. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm used to speaking with people who have accents. So it was good to hear somebody who actually doesn't, doesn't have one in any way. I actually knew about High Desert Church uh, before I ever knew about Bayside. And so because of some mutual friends, and so I've, I've known you from afar, loved you from afar, and it's an honor to be with you uh, here tonight, it, today. And, and happy Mother's Day weekend. I was, I was raised uh, by a strong mom. I was, was raised with somebody who became a strong mom, and I'm married to somebody who is a strong mom. And so I have a, a tremendous respect uh, for motherhood and appreciative of all the moms uh, who are out there. Well, well last weekend I was, had the privilege to be with many of your staff uh, up at the Thrive Conference. We had about 3,500 leaders uh, there in the Sacramento area, 10,000 uh, that were online, and we did. We, we released a, a, a new book that is out. It's kind of my number one pastoral tool. So if you were to come visit me for some pastoral counseling, this is actually what I would use. And so I want you to think about this. What's mine? What's theirs? What's God's? Those three questions. What's mine, what's theirs, and what's God's? So I learned to drive on the uh, narrow roads back in Arkansas uh, with, from my grandfather, which is a tremendous way to learn how to drive, by the way. Just skip a generation so you don't have the tension between father and son. And so my grandfather taught me how to drive. And the only advice was basically this. You just had to keep it between the devil yellow line and the ditch. I mean, that, that's all you had to do to drive in Arkansas. I still remember my grandfather holding on to the handle of his truck, kind of leaning toward me saying, keep it out of the ditch, son, keep it out of the ditch. Well, Jenny and I flew into Sacramento for our interview two years ago uh, this month. And we landed at the airport and we came out, we got on the five, the five merged uh, into the 80 and we started heading uh, toward East Sacramento. And now I'm driving six lanes of interstate traffic on this side, six on that side. And I remember thinking to myself, we ain't moving here. Like, like this is just too much, right? 
And yet two years later, I went to pick up my mom from the airport a couple of weeks ago. I picked her up. We got on the five. The five merged in the 80. I'm going 85 miles an hour up toward Auburn. My mom turns to me and goes, who have you become? Now, now what amazes me about the interstate is this. How is it that we can go 85 miles an hour, just mere feet from the person next to us, with very little danger? What is the brilliant technology that we have created that allows such tremendous speed at great proximity? It's paint on concrete. That's the technology. That literally, as long as I stay in my lane, as long as I abide by where I'm supposed to be, and my neighbor does the exact same thing, we can go with tremendous speed at great closeness with very little danger. And yet, if you didn't park properly in the parking lot tonight with no speed, somebody could open their door, hitting yours, doing damage to your car. It all comes down to this basic concept of identifying where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing, and then doing that. To, to stay in our lane, to, to make sure that we are not swerving into places that we should not be. As long as we stay in our lane, we can move with tremendous speed, with great proximity. But the moment we begin to swerve out of what is rightfully ours, chaos. Worry begins to rise. Friction begins to grow in relationships. Our, our lives begin to get stuck. What's mine? What are those things I actually control? What's theirs? What are the things that I don't control but I do have the power to influence? What's God's? What are the things that are in his sovereign design that I now have to accept? And if you and I can figure out what we control, what we influence, and what we accept, we can get things done. But what we tend to do, what I tend to do, is ignore what I control, fixate on what is yours, and then argue about what is God's. And whenever that happens, we get stuck. Our lives get into chaos. And so this book, Stay in Your Lane, is just a, a small kind of piece of advice of figuring out what's mine, what's theirs, what's God's. And if you can do that, we can worry less, love more, and get things done. Now, trust me on this. It is totally coincidence that this came out the week of Mother's Day. Coincidence. So if you were to buy this for your mother-in-law, total accident but probably something that every mother-in-law needs to read. Am I right? What's mine, what's theirs, what's God's? You know one thing that is God's? The definition of marriage. God gets to decide. He gets to decide how marriage is defined and he also gets to decide how marriage is designed. Now, now what's theirs? It's how other people do marriage. Now, now what's, what's mine? What's mine is do I submit myself to God's definition and then ultimately to God's design? For it's in that submission to his definition and to his design that human flourishing actually begins to take place. And so the invitation to God to us is if you want to be married, and by no means you have to, as a matter of fact, Paul says it might be better not to be married, but if you desire to be married, 
The, the way to experience flourishing in the midst of marriage is to understand God's definition and then also God's design. That, that's what we're gonna do in Genesis chapter two. Let's, let's start reading in verse number 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Uh, within this passage, we see now kind of God's uh, design for marriage. No, no doubt it happens in Genesis chapter two and, and something major happens in Genesis chapter three. Humanity rebels against God and then sin then touches every aspect of who we are, including the aspect of marriage. Then yet the presence of sin does not change God's original design. The, the way he originally created us to operate and us to function in this world still remains. And so if you and I want a healthy marriage marital relationship. We need to look back to God's design and submit ourselves to it. And yet what I find is that many of us don't even know what's expected of us if we are married. And so if you are married, if there were a job description of, of what it means to be married, what are the things that you're actually supposed to do? What are the things you're supposed to provide to your spouse, whoever you choose in that moment? What are the things that you're actually supposed to do? Now, I think this text gives us just three very simple concepts that is easy to understand, but you can spend the rest of your life trying to figure out and to properly apply. And that's what we wanna look at this weekend are these three basic concepts. Now to do this, I'm gonna need, need a married couple to volunteer. You're not gonna have to speak in any way. Anybody over here married that doesn't mind call, coming up on stage? Uh, your wife said no, so no, sir, I don't see that hand. Uh, this, I'm not gonna cause a fight here in what's going on. Is there anybody, anybody down here married? Anybody married, are you all married? All right, come on up, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on up, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. No, you're not, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on up, right here, right here. Just right there. You're not gonna say anything, don't worry. If I make fun of anybody, I'll make fun of the man, don't worry. Everything will be good. All you're gonna have to do is stand here, I promise. I, I have not lost a single volunteer in this 20 years of preaching. All right, just stand right here. So this text is going to, let's move just this way a little bit. There we go, so every campus can see you. Okay, so this text is gonna give us three basic concepts of what it means to be married. Three different roles that you actually play. And so the first one, I just want you to hold each other's hands as though you're walking, right? So, so face that way, you're, you're walking in life, side by side, right? So, so this is what it means to be a friend. So, so the first role we're gonna look at is that a friend. And we'll come back and get this in your notes in just a minute. But God has called us to walk through life hand in hand. And what I love about this image is this idea. It's not that the man is out in front dragging the wife behind. It's not that the wife is out in front dragging the husband from behind. The, the man isn't up top and the woman down below. The woman isn't up top and the man down below. Instead, they're side by side. 
walking through life together, experiencing life together. No, no smarter or dumber than either one of them within this thing called marriage. Isn't it great to know that in a healthy marriage, you'll always have somebody by your side. That's the gift that marriage is supposed to bring, that there, there's always somebody beside and on your side. Now, now turn back to back. There we go, back to back. So, so this to me is now the image of a partnership. And, and so within the image of partnership, you, you have this concept that, that we're now going to leverage one another for the betterment of the whole, that my life is gonna be better because of Jenny, that hopefully Jenny's life is gonna be better because of me. And, and so on one hand, you have the ability to scan the horizon 180 degrees this way, uh, looking for opportunities, also looking for threats. Then you can really zero in and focus in on these things because you know, you know that your partner is scanning the horizon 180 degrees this way, looking for threats and, and opportunities and, and any dangers that are there. And if necessary, if you see something where you need help, you can tap him on the shoulder and both of your attentions can turn in this direction. But at other times you can take care of things and trust that he's gonna take care of things that as well. And in this moment, you're leveraging one another for the well-being of the whole. And literally a healthy marriage that begins to, to multiply our strengths and divide our weaknesses. And so if you see something out there that you know needs to be taken care of, but it's not in your wheelhouse of strength. You know, maybe your husband can't handle that. You can point him in that direction. If he sees something that you're really good at that he's not, he can leverage you now in this moment. You can, you can motivate one another towards success and, and well-being. And isn't it great to know that in a healthy marriage, you always have somebody who has your back looking out for you in this world and culture that will throw daggers to one another. You have the support of each other. Now turn face to face. And this is, this is now the picture of intimacy. This is the idea of being a lover. That, 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 that we see one another in a way that nobody else sees us. That we see each other fully and completely and yet love each other in totality. It doesn't mean that our love is blind so we can't see any weaknesses. No, we see the weaknesses and yet those weaknesses are minor in comparison to the greatness of the love that is there. And we'll support one another in overcoming things and growing and, and strengthening and, and being better in all things. And we see each other in a powerful way. Now, now it's an interesting thing. If this were, y'all aren't paying attention to me, are you? No, you're not. You just, I, you t I totally lost you both, didn't I? You know what's amazing to me about this? It, it's a, it's a power, I've done this all over the country, this little illustration. And, and I have people do this. They hold hands and they're listening, they're paying attention. And then they turn back to back and they're listening and pay attention. And then they look eye to eye and I lose them. There is something powerful about looking in the eye of the one that you love. Everything else kind of gets lost. You know, you know, as our marriages begin to struggle, it's actually been proven that we start to look each other in the eye less. That, that one of the greatest opportunities you literally have to strengthen your relationship is simply greater eye contact with one another. It is no accident that when a baby, I'm gonna preach for a little bit. It is no accident that when a baby is born that you coddle them at this very place. And, and whenever they're first born, the, the length of their ability to see is about this long. It's about the, the distance between a mom's face, a parent's face, and, and a child's face. There's such intimacy that takes place as you're making eye contact, locking eyes in that moment. That need doesn't go away as we grow up. We need to look each other in the eye more often. Friend, side by side, friend now, holding each other's hand, walking through life, back to back now, partnership now, back to back, 
back to back. Now partnership, now scanning the horizon, having each other's back, now face to face. Intimacy, lovers, seeing each other completely and fully and loving each other anyways. Those are the three roles we're gonna look tonight. Y'all can have a seat, thank you so much. Thank you. It's the, it's the excitement with which you volunteered that pleases me the most. So, so take out your notes if you have them. Now we're just gonna walk through each of these to begin to understand where this comes in, in God's ultimate design. And so, so we understand Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, in a typical biblical kind of way, we have two tellings of the exact same story. It's a, it's a common pattern throughout scripture where scripture will tell the story from one maybe big overarching angle and then zero in on a specific topic or it will tell the story from, from one concept and then show it in a different way. And so Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two are not com two completely different tellings of the creation story. Instead, they are a retelling of the creation story. And so we see the complexity of who God is and within his creative order. And so in Genesis chapter two, that now God shows how were we created and how are we supposed to interact with one another. And this is a vital retelling here because without this retelling, we could come to some wrong conclusions that, that one gender is above the other gender, that we shouldn't lean or depend uh, upon each other, that, that, that we could come to the wrong conclusion that gender is just a social construct and we should do away with it if we really wanna succeed in life. And yet because of what the Bible tells us, we can have a proper understanding of how we're supposed to interact with each other. So God's created the man and, and, and we have that famous text that it's, it's not good for man to be alone. So we can see that man by himself is, is not enough. There's, there's, a, there's a lack of completion that is there. That, that is not to say that if you're a single man that something is wrong with you or, or you're some kind of second class. It's not that at all. It was the idea that God's image was not fully displayed until the creation of both man and woman. That there's something in that mystery of difference that begins to better communicate the, uh, the complexity of who God actually is. So, so notice what the text has to say, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, so suitable, that concept is there, there, there's something that's just gonna fit just right. And so to make the point, God parades all the animals in front of Adam, and if all God was looking for was a helper, somebody that could assist Adam in carrying out the task of doing the work of the garden, then any or all of those animals would have been perfect. But even as the animals are paraded in front of Adam, while they have helpers, there's nobody that is suitable. What is that concept of suitability? I think it is that concept of equality. That God, now the beautiful Trinity, created us, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, now created us into community with a desire and a need to be seen, to be known, to be valued, to be loved. And ultimately, we're supposed to get that from God, no question, but, but God also designed it to where he, he, he gives us that love, that, that knowledge, that seeing, that understanding, as he pours it through other people as well. And humanity left in isolation is not healthy. We need other people to see us, to know us, to value us, and to love us. And, and so God created Eve now, and the distinctive quality of, of Eve as she comes now out of the rib, out of the side, this, this idea of, of equality, of, of sameness, differences, no doubt, 
and yet sameness as well. That's the idea of friendship. And friendship really does form the very foundation of a healthy relationship. And friendship is this knowledge, we're going through the notes now, friendship is this knowledge now that I should always have somebody by my side. Somebody who's walking through life with me together as I struggle, as I succeed, that, that there's always somebody who, who sees the pain in my life, who, who sees the quiet celebration that's going on, who, who can speak in life into me whenever I need encouragement, that can pick me up whenever I'm down. And, and then I have somebody that I can give that same gift to as well. When nobody else sees you, now your spouse should be able to see what's going on inside of you. And I would say that, that friendship now is built on a, a very important characteristic. And the characteristic is trust. That I trust you. I, I trust how you're gonna treat my heart. I know that you have my, my best intention in mind. I, I say it so often, I, I repeat it to myself. It's the lens through which I, I view my relationship with Jenny. I, I say this all the time because I trust her I say, Jenny loves me and she's for me. It means anything that she does, anything that she says, I view through that lens. I hear through that earpiece. She loves me and she's for me. Are you going to wear that tonight? She loves me and she's for me. She's concerned. She doesn't want me to just be on stage looking the fool. And so are you gonna wear that tonight is, is a protective nature of Jenny. Not her against me, it's her for me. And yet what's sad is in so many relationships, trust begins to erode and when trust begins to erode, we lose that concept of friendship. And a healthy relationship cannot survive without friendship. Think about this. This is how marriage starts. This is how it should start. You, you, you remember, remember back when guys used to ask out girls for dates? So you ask the girl out and, and you go out to your first date, whatever it is. And in the midst of that first date, you're just trying to figure out a couple things. Could I listen to this voice for the rest of my life? Are they interesting? Are they enjoyable to be around? If, that, if, that, if those things aren't answered, you're not gonna continue. The very beginning of any healthy relationship now is this concept of friendship and, and, and the need for it does not go away. It takes time and energy and, and efforts. One thing we did, hopefully you saw it on social media. I know, I know over 500 of you have seen it and engaged with it in, in some way. We did, we did a very simple assessment that we use uh, up at Bayside. You can go to changetheodds.com. If you didn't get to take it, you can take it there. But a very simple 30 question assessment just to figure out what is the state of your relationship. And just very quickly, just in a couple of minutes, ranking things from one to five, I ask you 30 questions and there's 10 questions about friendship, 10 about partnership, 10 about intimacy, and it will immediately give you a score to begin to see where is our relationship. And many of you took that and I have the results with me here tonight. And do you know what is the biggest hindrance for High Desert Church? The marriages at High Desert Church, the biggest hindrance when it comes to a healthy friendship, it's attention. It's attention. Question number one on the assessment is simply this. 
I regularly have my spouse's attention and can easily get it when I need it. Now think about what a low bar that is. I regularly have it. It doesn't say every day. It doesn't even give a measurement. It just means that there's some kind of consistency in which I know my spouse is going to see me. I regularly have my spouse's attention and can easily get it when I need it. So, so whenever I'm in trouble, if I call, I can speak and I know that's gonna spark something within them and they're going to turn their attention, their strength and their energy to me in that moment. You know how many people watching this right now with High Desert Church can answer that in a confident affirmative that I regularly, a low bar, I regularly have my spouse's attention and can easily get it when I need it? 20%. 80% of you said that's not really true. Well, well, if you're not paying attention to each other, you can't be friends. If you're not seeing one another, if you're not looking past all the noise and all the chaos and, and, and singling out this other person, and at some point in your day, in your week, in your mind, in your concentration, fixating upon them to see what's going on in their lives, you can have all the, 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 the thoughts of love within your heart, within your soul. You can proclaim all day long that you will give your life for that person, but if you won't give your attention to that person, you're a liar. And yet just a few hours from here, there are several major companies spending billions of dollars a year coming after your attention so that they can sell to you and so that they can actually sell you. And they're using every force necessary to distract you. And let me ask you this. When Netflix, Google, Apple, Facebook, for every second of attention they get from you, who's losing it? Most often it's the ones that you claim to love the most that end up giving, giving up your focus and your fixation. High Desert Church, let me tell you, friends, and, and your, your stats aren't unusual by any means, but I can speak truth into your life as an outsider just on some basic questions you gave to me. If you love each other, pay attention. Put the phones down. Find some time to look each other in the eye. One of the, one of the simplest pieces of advice that I can give, a, a couple that comes into my office, they're, they're raising kids, typical stress of, of marriage, everything that's going on, and, and, and they're talking through, and I'm listening, and I finally just said, hey, I want you to try something between now and the next time I see you. I want each of you to set an alarm on your phone. And, and so, man, Phil, when you're at work, at two o'clock, when that alarm goes off, I want you to take two minutes drown out everything else and, and I want you to just focus in that moment on Jill. I want you to see her in your mind at home taking care of the kids. What it was like to put 
your youngest down for a nap, what it's like to clean up the messes that are going on. Just begin to think through what her day has looked like today, what, what the rest of the evening is going to, to look like. Is, is there one way you can help her to the sister? Is there something that you're grateful for, thankful for in your relationship? Think back on some of how you first met, of some admiration or affection you have her. And for two minutes at your desk, I just want you to fixate on her. And then at the end of two minutes, go about your work day. And then Jill, I want you to do the same thing. Now, now, it may not be able to be an exact alarm for you, but maybe you get in the habit that whenever you put your youngest down, when, when they actually fall asleep, I want you to take two minutes, if you can stay awake, I want you to take two minutes and focus on Phil. See him at his desk. See the work that he's doing, all the stress that is there. Imagine what it's like to be away from the family for a, a while and trying to keep it all together and yet still be a good dad. Think, think back of why you fell in love with him, of what, what that was like. I want you to try that. About a month went by, I ran into Jill and she came, she came up to me and, and she said, hey, Kevin, I, I just want to tell you. And I said, what? She goes, Kevin, nothing has changed, but everything has changed. I said, what do you mean? She said, those, those two minutes a day are unreal. She said, nothing has changed. We, we still keep the same schedules. We still, everything outwardly stays exactly the same. But those two minutes have radically transformed us because for those two minutes, I'm reminded that Phil loves me. I'm reminded of what he's sacrificing. I'm reminded of the good days that are lying ahead, the great days that are behind, and that one day we will actually look back on this time and have a fond affection for this day. And he's doing the same thing. It's changed everything. What's happened? They've given each other attention. I'm not talking about 24-7, 365. I'm not talking about hours upon hours. I'm talking about find ways every day to think about your spouse for two minutes and it will strengthen that friendship. But, but notice, it's not just somebody suitable for him. Verse 18 says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So within that, we have this concept of there's a task. Adam and Eve were actually given a task to accomplish. And so as God was creating the person for Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. He wanted somebody with, with skill, with ability that would, would assist the, the job that is before him. And so we have this idea of partnership that, that we're supposed to be working in life together in, in what's going on. So again, I love the, the image of scanning the horizon and seeing the strengths and the weaknesses. And here's the amazing thing about partnership. Think about this. If you were gonna start a business, what kind of business partner would you want? Would you want somebody, if you're good at sales, would you want somebody who's also good at sales? If you're bad with numbers, would you want somebody who's also bad with numbers? No. If you were gonna start a business, you would want somebody with, a, with an equal passion and desire to succeed. Somebody who's gonna work just as hard as you're gonna work. So somebody's gonna, gonna put their blood and sweat and tears and everything that's going on. But then you wouldn't want a business partner that's different than you. If you're good with people, you would want somebody good with numbers, if you're good with computers, you would want somebody that's good uh, with a microphone in their hand. You would want somebody that's different. And so the beauty of what God has created here in this partnership, he's created two people with an equal passion and desire and enough similarities and yet great differences. And to the extent that you and I can have a unity in mission and purpose and then differences that complement one another, we will survive, not just survive, we will actually begin to thrive. And yet so often, what is the potential of our greatest strength, our differences, what is the potential of our greatest strengths often turn into our greatest weaknesses. 
Because rather than appreciating the differences, we fight against them. And we think the other person should, should do it our way. You know, John Gottman, that famous marital expert up in Seattle, he, he, said, he talks about fights that when couples disagree, there's two types of, of disagreements. There are reconcilable disagreements, things that there are literally right and wrong, somebody's right, somebody's wrong, you gotta figure it out. But then he says that, that there are these unresolvable disagreements because it's not an issue of right or wrong, it's just an issue that you look at it differently than I look at it. We, we see things differently. Do you know what percentage of fights, these are fights that married couples have that are resolvable? Less than 30%. 70% of the disagreements you have with your spouse are not an issue of right or wrong. It's a difference of perspective and personality in which you should stop arguing about the issue and start actually learning from your spouse. Jenny and I, in some ways, could not be more different. We, we have these vastly different skill sets that we get to leverage because of our trust that we have for one another and a healthy partnership now is built on respect. It's this concept of, of I respect your viewpoint, your value. I see the value that you bring to the table. I respect you as a person. I know it was popular 20 years ago to, to say that what women really need is love and what men really need is respect. Try that tomorrow on Mother's Day. Write your, your wife a letter and say, I love you, I don't respect you. See how that works out. Respect is vital for all of humanity. If you don't respect your spouse, you really don't love your spouse. And so I respect Jenny, and because I respect Jenny and she respects me, we can actually leverage our differences for the well-being of each other. When we were moving to Sacramento a couple of years ago, so I was a pastor at a church in Arkansas, on staff for 19 years, lead pastor of a multi-site church for 13 years. And so we decided to make the move in June is when I was gonna resign from our church, which means we're kind of on a quick turnaround to get here by school, to get the kids involved in school. So I didn't have time to leave the church because I was saying my goodbye. So Jenny actually flew out to Sacramento to buy a house. And so we went over Monday together of what we could buy and kind of what I wanted and what I liked and all that. And she would show me pictures. Uh, but she came out here and made the largest financial decision of our entire lives because you people in California love your homes. Like you value them in a way in Arkansas, we did not value them. How was she able to do that with, without any input from me? I respect her. I knew. I knew she would buy a great house that our family loved, that she loved, that I loved. I knew she would get a great deal. You see, she, she owns her own advertising company, so she negotiates for a living. I'm a pastor. So if you're trying to sell me something, I will probably feel sorry for you and pay 10% extra to get you to love me. She will talk you down 50% and make you love her. So she came out and, and sure enough bought the house. Well, so I, I, had, I was, was flying down to Houston to do a marriage conference. She was gonna fly from Sacramento to Houston to see me and we were gonna do that marriage conference together then go back to Arkansas, say our goodbyes, uh, move our then uh, 16 and 14 year old to California because what better time to move than whenever you're in high school and junior high. And so those are great parenting moments, right? And so she, she gets to the airport uh, in Sacramento and she calls me kind of panicked and she says, Kevin, I'm in trouble, I've, I've lost my my driver's license. She said, I'm already in the airport. 
I've lost my driver's license, I'm, I'm gonna miss my flight. I said, okay, let's begin to process through this. I said, where'd you lose it? She said, it probably fell out of my pocket on the shuttle. And uh, I said, all right, they'll find it. And then it hit me. I said, hey, do you have the backpack I always travel with? She said, yes. I said, okay, look in the back, second zipper, about halfway down, there's a Velcro pouch. Open it up, your passport's in there. She goes, why is my passport in your backpack? I said, it's in case you ever lose your driver's license. You see, she has this habit at the airport. She pull, I, I mean, I get it. She pulls her, her driver's license out, puts it in her pocket. Well, she sits down, it can fall out. Well, I never wanted to be in the uncomfortable situation of us traveling together and her, like us coming through security and her not getting through and then me having to make the decision, am I going without her or am I staying? Like, what am I supposed to do here? So I just, without telling her, took her passport, put it in my backpack and I always had it and she never knew it. Partnership, strengths and weaknesses. We leverage each of those for our own well-being, for our own success. And, and yet, you know, you know what is the greatest hindrance for High Desert Church whenever it comes to this issue of partnership? It is the fact that 70% of you said that in some way there is a place in your spouse's life where they're not acting like an adult. 70%. Some way, not, not, not totally, not, not everything, but there's some way in, in which you're, they feel like their spouse is, is still stuck in some adolescence. Now, now what's the difference? And make no mistake about it, I, I know I'm from Arkansas, but, but marriage is an adult game. It's an adult game. It's something that you have to do whenever you're a grown up because it's responsibility. You see, my 15-year-old back at home right now, he doesn't go to bed at night thinking, I wonder how mom and dad are gonna pay the bills. Not his responsibility. He doesn't have to worry about it. He doesn't have to, to worry about all the big issues of life. He just has to fixate on, on school and video games. I mean, he's 15. That's all he has to really focus in on. Well, as an adult, you have to worry. You have to worry about who's gonna pay the bills and is, are the lights gonna come on and, and are things gonna be cleaned up the way they're supposed to be cleaned up. And, and we have to now, both of us now act like adults. And yet in the assessment, when asked the question, are there areas in my spouse's life in which sometimes they act like a child? And this isn't the playful kind of way. 70% said, that's a problem. And here's the problem, when a marriage of equals, as we see in Genesis 2, becomes a parent-child relationship, that is a destructive dynamic to both people. Marriage is meant to be a relationship of equals, and a partnership requires equality. You can't have one domineering over the other. You can't have one who's just throwing their hands up, saying, in this area of life, I'm gonna act like a child, and expect my partner to take care of it. In that moment, partnership is lost. But then the, the, the passage concludes there in, in verse 25. You can look at your notes. Every seventh grade boy's favorite verse in all the Bible, Genesis chapter two, verse number 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So this idea of a lover is someone who sees me and, and loves me completely. It's built on this idea of vulnerability. 
That I, I recognize this is before sin entered the world. And so there was nothing to be embarrassed about by Adam and Eve in this moment. And yet what sin entered the world, it's no accident that the very first thing Adam and Eve do is they cover themselves. They feel shame, they hide, they cover themselves. And, and now it requires of us a, a, a bravery, a courage now to, to reveal our sin-filled selves to God and, and then also to one another. And yet that really is the great test now. And, and notice, notice there's a progression here that trust plus respect can produce vulnerability. That, that if you don't have trust or respect, you shouldn't be vulnerable. There's some of you in this room that, that one of the worst things you can do for your relationship at this point, because there's not trust and there's not respect, would be for you to be vulnerable. You shouldn't be vulnerable to somebody you can't trust or respect. And yet, if you have vowed your life to somebody else and you trust them, if you respect them, now you have to begin to start having the courage to be vulnerable with them. Yes, this includes a physical vulnerability, no doubt. But it's also an emotional one, uh, uh, a spiritual one. It's a willingness now to, to lean in and, and let them see you in the midst of your sinfulness and not use that as an excuse, but then use it as a motivation to experience God's grace now poured through another person and to have transformation to, to happen. You know, there's two questions in the assessment that really stuck out to me on this issue of vulnerability. What, what's keeping High Desert Church from really experiencing true vulnerability and, and even healthy relationships. The, the first is this, there was a question. Can you, can you easily and openly speak about intimacy with your spouse? Most said no. So, so there's something about this intimacy that God created that we can't communicate about it. Now, if the lack of communication is a trust and respect issue, you need to grow those two things. But if the issue is how you grew up in a repressed kind of culture, uh, an own, your own uncomfortableness about sexual type of issues, then you have to figure out a way to, to have an honest conversation. One of the encouragements I always give to couples is don't, don't have these conversations in your bedroom. Like go for a walk. Just go for a walk and, and then have an open discussion. I mean, speak quietly. Don't, don't, don't be talking loud as you're walking around the neighborhood. Everybody, get the neighborhoods talking then at that point. But, so, so they're gonna look out their window. They're gonna see, oh, look, the Johnsons are walking again. I bet you they're talking about the weather and you're not. <laughs> but, but be willing to have those conversations. But, but you know what, what's, what stuck out to me in, in, a, in a great deal? There's a question in the assessment that nobody understands why I ask it, and yet it is so important. It's how regularly do you cuddle? Gottman, once again up in Seattle, says that cuddling might be the greatest indicator of sexual satisfaction in a marriage. Your skin, the totality of your skin is the largest organ you have. And to leverage it now in a positive way, to, to make it a habit. I'm not, I'm not just talking about the, 
the sexual intimacy we think about. I'm talking about literally just at night when, you're, when you've had dinner and everything's done and now you're gonna go sit on the couch. Instead of sitting on two different ends of the couch, uh, just find a way to sit close to one another and to lean on, in on one another. And what happens in that moment, if there is trust and respect, what happens in that moment as you cuddle each other is your blood pressure begins to lower. Oxytocin begins to get released. That, that's, that exact same hormone that is experienced between a mother and a newborn whenever they nurse is the same thing that a husband and wife can experience as they hold each other. And then you will begin to be reminded of why you loved each other. What's mine, what's theirs, what's God's? God gets to define marriage. He gets to design it. You and I get to choose whether or not we live by his design. And in Genesis chapter two, he shows us what a healthy marriage consists of. A friend who is always by my side, a partner who always has my back, and a lover who sees me and loves me completely. Provide those three things for each other and you will never regret it. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Most gracious heavenly father, we thank you for this night. Father, I pray. For those who aren't married in the room, that, that if one day they wanna get in a relationship, they'll remember this message and they'll take it with them. And this is what they will look for, somebody that they can be a friend, a partner, and a lover with. Father, for those who are in the room who are married, for those who, who took the assessment and might be struggling, I pray that they would reach out, get help, find some counseling, put some work in. But for those who are in the midst of good relationships, Father, our society needs them, allow them to continue to have success as they live out these principles. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.